Good morning. I am really delighted to be here this morning to meet with you again and to share God's Word and to share a little tiny bit of what's going on in Chiang Mai, Thailand at Payap University, where I live and work. And I'll just be using the scripture in the sermon. So start in, but let's pray and invite God to illumine our hearts this morning. Father God, thank you that you have given us your spirit, the risen Christ with us, in us, among us. Thank you that your spirit leads us into truth. I ask that you would pour out your grace in our hearts, that we would be open to hear what you have for us, each one this morning. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to start this morning with a confession, my lifelong struggle with clutter. And I think part of the reason is that I don't really see it. When I was in college, I was a waitress. That's what we called them back then. I don't know. I can't remember what you call them now, but... uh, I was a waitress and worked late, and I came home, back to the dorm one night, and my room was right next to the lounge where the TV was, and everybody was in there watching TV. And I said hi to folks and walked in and out of my room for a couple times, and then um, went and got a shower and came back and was looking in in my drawer for some pajamas to put on, and there was nothing in the drawer, and I looked in the next drawer, there was nothing in the drawer. I looked in the next drawer, there was nothing in the drawer. And then I looked around my room and realized my friends had scattered my clothes out of my drawers all over my room, but I hadn't even noticed. Um, I had gone in and out numerous times. And so my friends trying to play a trick on me were actually just astounded at my not getting the trick because I didn't see it. And that it just exhibits kind of my struggle with this issue. It's, I don't see it. Last July, though, I got some very helpful help with my decluttering issue. Two things happened. The first thing is that uh, I was given the gift of more time and energy to care for my home. So we have a new president at Payap University and he brought in a new administrative team. I've been an administrator at Payap University for 15 years and was relieved of my administrative duties. I'm no longer chaplain at Payap University. I still am on the chaplain's staff. I still teach in our seminary. So I get to do the things that I really love and enjoy and have been relieved of um, these duties. And I'm super delighted because my new boss... Is actually the dean of our seminary, uh, Assistant Professor Reverend Dr. Satanan Bunyakiet. He did a doctorate here at Fuller in theology, uh, and I have wanted him to be my boss for a long time. But this move decluttered about 20 hours of meetings a week that I don't have to go to anymore. And when I went to them, I, I loved it. I loved doing administration, felt like it was very worthwhile but I'm loving not having those hours of work and not having the burden. And especially being able to work with Dr. 
Dr. Satanan. His nickname is Golf, John Golf. And uh, he's just really bright. He loves God with all his heart. He's got a vision. He's a great communicator. He's just published a new book for the Thai church. It's kind of um, uh, theology close to life. Are loosely translated, something like that, which is a very needed resource for the church. So I'm uh, delighted to work with him, and I have more time and energy for my home. And the second thing that happened is that uh, my daughter, Anna, whose birthday it is today, actually, she's uh, 32, well, she's been trying to help me with my cluttering issues for a couple of years. And uh, she and her husband uh, live in Germany, and um, the German government is great. They had a baby boy, and they're taking, they get to take two years off and have their jobs back when they go back to work. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So they're taking two years off and getting their uh, art careers started. Her husband's a musician, and she's an artist, and they're raising baby Vigo. Well, she said, okay, Mom, and so this means they could come and live with us for three months from November to February with their baby son, Vigo, who was just turning one about the time they were with us. Fantastic. She said, we're coming for three months, and I will help you declutter, but you must show me first that you are serious. So you have to do the minimalist challenge for one month. The first day of the month, you get rid of one piece of clutter. The second day of the month, you get rid of two pieces of clutter. The third day, three pieces, and so on, up till... You know, 27, 28, you're getting rid of some significant clutter. My first reaction was, uh, wait a minute here, I'm the mom, you're the kid, you know, giving me conditions for your help. But I really needed her help, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And besides, I thought, I have enough paper clips in my house to count for every day of the month. So if I get desperate, I'll just get rid of some paper clips. But... I didn't have to use the paper clips, and it just felt really good for a whole month to be starting getting rid of things. So when Anna came, she began helping me to declutter this home we've lived in for 20 years that had tons of clutter. We got rid of two truckloads of furniture and just piles and piles of books and all kinds of things. Well, the job is not finished, but I feel like I have a new home. And when I walk, every time I walk into my house now, I just think, oh, Anna, I love you so much. Thank you. So it's made a huge difference. And the biggest difference is in my heart that I have a vision and I have hope. This issue that I've struggled with so, for so long, and I wondered, could it really, could this really change? This was such an experience of grace. You know, my grandmother told me back when I was a kid, just to keep a tidy house, you just have a place for everything and everything in its place. And that's been my hope and my dream. Well, I finally really do have hope that it can happen, and I have a vision for where to put things that still need to be decluttered and uh, what to get rid of. And I'm determined to really work on my habit of acquisition and using things and letting them go when the time comes. So, today I'm supposed to be talking about mission in Thailand, and what does that have to do with decluttering? Well, I'd like to offer decluttering for God's mission in the world. Jesus came preaching the good news, good news that the kingdom of God was now here. 
Jesus brought the kingdom in himself, brought heaven to earth, taught that this was his goal, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've sung about this. And I think I, like many Christians, grew up understanding that uh, God's ultimate goal was to get us to heaven. But I'm coming to understand that God's goal is the reconciliation of heaven with earth, joining heaven, bringing heaven to earth in and among us. And ultimately, there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and I certainly don't know how God's going to work this all out, but that is our real hope. And so that wherever there is clutter and mess and disorder and stuff in the way, God is wanting to clean it up from our hearts to our communities to this amazing planet. You know, when we look at what we're doing to the earth, plastic pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, we might say that we have a serious cluttering problem on this planet. And I think for most of us, if we're really honest, we can admit that in our hearts we might have an old grudge or two or an attitude, uh, beliefs that are not particularly kind to others or perhaps not kind to ourselves. And I think when we look at the state of our society today, both here in the U.S. and also in Thailand, with political polarization, we really can't talk to each other very respectfully. And I wonder deep down how, do, how we feel about these piles of clutter. Is there hope? Or does the stewardship of the earth seem impossible? The healing of our hearts and our relationships or the cultural divide, is there hope? Or is it just so overwhelming we'd rather try to distract ourselves from it? Well, at the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we hear Jesus' last command. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I believe that this is Jesus' fundamental strategy for decluttering and restoring the whole creation. For bringing heaven to earth from our individual hearts to our communities to the planet. So what is this strategy? First of all, it says Jesus came to them. He drew close. And Jesus is inviting us, I think, to be aware of his presence with us. In the creation stories, we get a glimpse of God's intention of how we'll care for the garden. It seems like God was walking in the garden with humanity day by day. And I think they were talking things over. What are we going to do today? What do you want us to do, Father? Bringing to earth the things that God has in God's mind and heart. I don't know if you know them. A lot of people know Brother Lawrence, a monk from the 1500s, I think. Another um, saint hero of mine is Frank Laubach, who was a missionary to the Philippines uh, in, the last, in the 1900s. And both of these men made it their top priority to try to be aware of Christ's presence with them throughout the day. And it had a profound impact on their lives. Frank Laubach ended up coming up with a way to teach literacy called Each One, Teach One, 
that you could teach people to read in a way that they could teach someone else how to read. And he had an international impact. There's a book of these men's letters called um, Practicing His Presence. And I don't know if you have it in your library, but if you don't, I'm going to donate to the church and encourage you to read it. It's been very inspirational for me. So Jesus drawing close, inviting us to be aware of his presence with us is really where the strategy begins. Jesus then said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. And I think the second part, the second step, if you will, is that we need to see Jesus accurately. See him for who he is, full of power and full of all that we need to accomplish his plan for reconciliation. And as we see him accurately, to worship him. Because the way Jesus exercises his power is not through force or domination or manipulation, but through self-giving love. This is a God worthy of our worship, whom we need to see clearly. And as Jesus came, we celebrated his death and a few weeks ago, Jesus initiated the healing of creation and bringing heaven to earth. And he's intent upon fulfilling this plan. And he is at work. We cannot accomplish this plan of healing on our own without this all-powerful Christ who exercises his power in humility and giving. My daughter Anna, as I mentioned, is an, is an artist. And in her decluttering efforts with me, you know, she sees how things need to be arranged to be beautiful. And artists who do sculpture, they know what you need to get rid of. Well, she could see how much I needed to get rid of to be left with a beautiful home. And Jesus is the artist, consummate artist of the universe, who designed our hearts, designed the whole universe, and knows just what's needed and where everything belongs. And as we worship him and see him as he is and live and work in his power and wisdom, we participate with him in the beautifying of this amazing creation and the beautifying of our hearts and lives. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I'm sure under Matt's leadership, this church knows a lot about discipleship. I think I'm preaching to the choir, but... This is such an important understanding for us, to be disciples who make disciples, disciples who are students of Jesus, apprenticed to Jesus, as Dallas Willard said. This is really the heart, I think, of how heaven comes to earth. As Jesus, we allow Jesus to shape us and train us in his ways of doing life so that ultimately we become more and more and more like him, truly. In Dallas Willard's uh, just amazing book, Renovation of the Heart, he describes how we can cooperate with the Trinity in decluttering and reordering every aspect of our being so that we become more and more like Jesus in all the parts of us. And Willard is very clear. He's very gentle with the church, but very clear with the church that in at least the last hundred years, the church has not done a very good job of making disciples. We've made converts. We've made church members but we haven't made disciples. And he says that helping people to become like Jesus is not only possible, but nothing else really matters. We can be genuinely transformed 
into greater Christ-likeness. And it's not a mysterious, magical process that happens some way that we can't learn about. It requires a vision, requires intentionality. It doesn't happen willy-nilly or by accident. And the primary way is through the spiritual disciplines. We can have renewed hearts, renewed wills, renewed thoughts, renewed feelings, sharing in Jesus' thoughts and feelings, and learn to care for our bodies as well. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens through a long, marinating process through our lives. The foundation of this, I think, Jesus gets at in being transformed to his likeness in the next thing that he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's Trinity Sunday, so we're supposed to be thinking about the Trinity today, and I'm glad that we are. This Dallas Willard again says that this doesn't mean we just put people through a ritual and get some water involved and kind of bring them into the church, but that we are really meant to be, to enter into and to be soaked in the life of the Trinity, to come into the relationship that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have with one another. Now, about 20 years ago, I met uh, Dr. Jim Wilder, and he was a, is a Fuller grad, also did a um, PhD program there that, that I did uh, almost 100 years ago now. But anyway, I met Jim, and he's been uh, doing, for the last 20 years, been doing a lot of work on integrating brain research and the Bible, the Christian faith, and doing integration work. And helping us to understand the importance of joy. I told about my little grandson Vigo came to live with us for three months and oh so fun. So joy from a brain science perspective is that experience when you're with someone and you can see in their face and their eyes they are glad to be with you. They delight in you. They like you. And when you're having that experience your prefrontal cortex is going bing 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 bing. It literally likes it. And it's making connections and growing stronger. And I loved it in the mornings when Vigo would come crawling down the hallway and I would come out and say, hi Vigo, and he would see me and be delighted and I would be, anyway, we did that joy building, delight building thing. It was so fun. He did great good for my prefrontal cortex over three months. This, this life model is, is, been, is so important to me. So, but I think it helps us understand the importance of joy. And the Trinity are full of this joyful, delighting in one another relationships. You remember when Jesus was baptized and came up out of the water and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I delight. In this joyful relationship, there's no competition, there's no envy, there's no fear. And we are invited into this fellowship of joy and to experience how much God loves us and delights in us. So that we don't just have a theology of it, but we have an experience of it, and we invite people into this reality to experience God's great affection for us as the foundation of our lives. About a year ago, I was walking on campus going to one of my many meetings. I still was an administrator, and ran into a teacher and just greeted her as I would greet anyone and, you know, oh, how are you doing? And she just looked down and shook her head and tears started coming out of her eyes and I just took her in my arms and said, what is going on? 
And she proceeded to describe her great shock that her husband was leaving her. She was absolutely devastated. And we began meeting together. And we've been meeting to pray together, to connect with Jesus, to listen to his heart for her hurts. She's growing in her awareness and her experience of God's love for her. Um, Jim Wilder and his team have developed a kind of prayer practice called Emmanuel Journaling that really helps us learn to listen to God. And one part of the process, God says, I'm glad to be with you, and I treat your weakness tenderly. And as we do this practice regularly, it really strengthens this experience of God's love, giving God the opportunity to speak God's love into our hearts. She's experiencing God's comfort and seeking God's wisdom, and she's being very honest and real about the anger and hurt that she's experiencing and feeling. I think this gets at what Jesus was talking about in baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, coming into this relationship of God's great joy and affection and love for us. And then Jesus says, in teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I don't think Jesus was saying, you know, go out there and beat people up and knock, you know, beat them over the head with a bunch of rules and guilt and shame them into doing what they should do. But Jesus taught very clearly we need to be changed from the inside out. From the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to deal with our anger, we've got to deal with our lust, we've got to declutter our hearts so that our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. They looked great on the outside, but we need our deep hearts transformed by love. This past semester, I taught a class in Christian spirituality for our MDiv students in the English program. Two students from members of the ethnic minority communities there who have been brutally attacked for over half a century by their nation's military. And one morning, we were talking about Jesus' command to love our enemies. And my student acknowledged with tears in his eyes that it's impossible for him to love and forgive the soldiers and the government who have burned out villages and raped the women of his people for years. And his honesty and his vulnerability were a very precious picture of where our transformation begins. Acknowledging our need, seeing the clutter, and yearning to clear it out so that we become free and that we're able to do the things that Jesus commanded as it comes out of our heart, full of his love. We don't have to white-knuckle it. Well, so we prayed for one another that morning that Jesus would continue his decluttering work in our hearts, giving us grace to give him the anger and the bitterness and resentment that we cling to, that our hearts would be ordered with his love and his joy. And we prayed for courage and creativity to confront the evil and injustice in that country in Jesus' ways. How can these ethnic minority groups pursue peace with justice in Burma? And I believe Jesus has wisdom and power for this task. At the end of Jesus' commissioning of his disciples, he reminds them again, 
And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. (laughs) Jesus does not intend us to struggle alone. My daughter Anna's help in decluttering was amazing. She helped area by area, seeing what needed to go, gathering it up for me, but then letting me make the, make the call. You ready to get rid of this, Mom? And usually, I was very ready. But she always let me make the call. And this is how Jesus works in our lives. Walking with us, area by area, gathering up our clutter, inviting us to let it go, but always honoring our freedom to make the call. This is the good news of God's mission in the world that I am so grateful to have the privilege of sharing at Piop University and glad to be able to come and thank you in person for your support through prayers and through finances that allows me to be there. God loves us. God's remaking our hearts so that we can work with him to restore relationships and reconcile the whole creation to him. So as we consider God's mission today and our calling to work with Jesus in restoring his beloved creation, I hope that we are encouraged with a vision and hope. God loves what God has made and is determined to heal and reconcile all of creation to himself. We are invited into this adventure of decluttering with Jesus who has all that we need to do our part. We are welcomed into the joyful community of the Trinity to experience and know God's great affection for us. This morning in my prayer time, I was just taking some time. Thank God, I'd really like to feel your love. And before long, just have a very peaceful, wonderful sense of God's presence and God's joy and delight. This is available to us as we take the time, as we learn to listen. And we can trust that Jesus will go to work decluttering our hearts, bringing the truth, the freedom and wisdom and creativity that we need in order to do the decluttering work that our society and this precious planet Earth are in such desperate need of. Jesus is with us always, delighting in us, and ready to guide us. Let us respond with trust and obedience.